0: trying to figure out inflation, unemployment rates, and the stock market all night so you slept through Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker? Don't worry, you're just in time for the Weekend Rewind, where we play back the latest episodes of your favorite weekend talk shows. It's time to play back Sunday's episode of Master Your Finances right now, only on 1077 The Bra. The financial views and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this program do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of 1077 The Bronx, Rider University, or Certified Wealth Management and Investment. The material discussed is not designed to provide the listeners with individual financial, legal, or tax advice. It's time to grow your bank as 1077 LeBron presents Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Kurt and his team of financial guests will help you turn those singles into seas of green and plan your financial future accordingly. Now here's your money managing host for the hour, Kurt Baker.
1: understand why families feud over inheritance. How would you know if your family is safe from an inheritance battle in the future? Cindy Arledge, a purposeful planning institute member and second-generation entrepreneur from Texas, works with growth-minded entrepreneurial families to eliminate known wealth transfer risks, create a we over me culture, and build sustainable systems to create lasting wealth. Based on her years of experience assisting business owners in preparing their families for a successful wealth transfer, Cindy will teach you three steps to protect your family. Cindy, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, I know this is an interesting area that uh, we as wealth advisors, our community, is told that we need to really sit and talk to the families, right? So we often are advisors for individuals or, or a couple, things like that. But especially when you're dealing with higher net worth or ultra high net worth clients, as we do here, you really need to get the whole family on the same page. Now, for you to step out and actually know this is kind of unusual. So can you want to tell us a little bit of the backstory of why you're such an expert in this area and how you came to be who you are today?
2: Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me here. It's a pleasure to spend this time with you. And the second piece, you know, in a simple term is just experience. And being unprepared. My parents passed away eight months apart in 2005. And unfortunately, the infighting in the family started even before my dad passed away. We were a pretty dysfunctional family, as some entrepreneurs are known to be. Yeah. And um, there was, even though there was a will in place and dad had done his best to prepare me, I, first of all, I didn't believe him. He said I'd have trouble with a sibling. And I was like, that won't be. You know, his problem was with you, Dad. He's never going to have a problem with me. Well, I was unfortunately very wrong in that. And so, uh, in a nutshell, it's experience and then turning my mess into a message to help other families.
1: Right. I mean, as you're pointing out, I think you just pointed this out. A lot of times, they say you don't really know who somebody is until they go through, until you go through an inheritance with them together, right? <laughs> so that's, that's exactly when you really right. find out who they truly are. And that's a shame. Because over and over and over again, we hear stories about that. Celebrities, you hear about it all the time, where battles will go on for years and years and years. You know, Martin Luther King, what it take, 40, 45 years or something, finally, to make some decisions on that? I think it was his Bible, I think you said, and uh, some other things, right? So it could take his a long time. and his time. peace
2: prize.
1: There he goes, Nobel his Peace Prize. peace prize. They right.
2: fought for almost 50 years over his peace prize.
1: That somehow sounds very ironic, doesn't it, to me? <laughs> So wait a minute, that's not the idea behind it, right? But I mean, as you point out, I mean, this is a big, big problem. And most of us don't really pay enough attention to this where you have to communicate multigenerational, right? So tell us how you, you know, you, a little bit about the story you got started. So what did you do from there? I mean, your experience there. What happened?
2: Well, the, the, one of the most challenging times I went through is um, writing that check to the IRA IRS, which ours was $1.8 <laughs> And then you wait to see if they will accept it. And nobody prepares you for that waiting period, that waiting zone of, you know, you're going to receive an inheritance, but it hasn't happened yet. And so you're just kind of in this, this waiting period. And during that time, I found out I was confused about money, which would make sense because my mom used money for love and my dad used money for power. And in that waiting period of expecting to receive a couple million dollars, I was totally confused. So being a lifelong learner, I decided to just learn, uh, learn about money. And because money's an amplifier, whatever your relationship is with money, before you get more of it, it will be more of what that is. So if you're greedy, you become more greedy. If you're generous, you become more generous. If you're confused, you become more confused. So I spent that time really digging in and I was shocked and, and somewhat, appreciative to learn that what had happened to us is, I would say normal if it happens to 70% of families, like over 70% of families will have a loss of, of assets in that first transfer. Wow. And so that made me kind of feel better. you know, like, well, at least we're not, you know, the only ones going through because that. Loves company, and, huh? and, <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah. And, and, and
2: then when I discovered that less than 10% of families are able to keep it to the third generation, That was even more shocking because my mom and dad were depression-era babies that had worked their whole life and really wanted to give us kids and their grandkids an advantage. And it spent a lot of money with attorneys to make that happen. And before they were even gone, we were already fighting over and losing. It was just so shocking to me. So instead of studying the people that weren't successful, I set out to study the people who were. And in doing so, I found the family office industry, and I found these legacy families that are able to retain wealth past the third generation and longer. And what was fascinating to me is that their success lied on the family, not the money.
1: Right. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important, as you mentioned, the family office experience where everybody kind of works together, all the experts, the accountants, the attorneys, the advisor, things like that are more in coordinated effort which doesn't always happen in our industry unfortunately right and so um that's an important part of of really making sure things are done correctly when the experts literally talk to each other and involve the family and the generations that are involved as well everybody has to be involved to make sure it's all going as we w- would want it to go correct
2: well and and yes that point and the the people had a plan for the advisors to work with the family they right. knew what they wanted it wasn't just some um, like my mom and dad um i you know he built a 10 million dollar empire and wanted it to to help his kids but had no plan on how to do that and in fact because he changed his mind and there was my mom was an alzheimer's patient their their wills didn't even match
1: oh, goodness. so there was
2: oh yeah it was crazy
1: and and as you probably know like with business owners when they think they're going to hand it off to the children they go oh well i'm just going to give it to you know, Johnny, he likes to run businesses and Susie, she doesn't really want to. And so what happens when this happens? Because they're like, Well, Susie says, Well, I still want my money, right? And Johnny's, well, I'm the one working, right? So you have to kind of walk through that whole process about what's fair to everybody, right? Is that kind of what we're talking about a little bit?
2: Yeah, that is a piece of it. Right. Um, what I've discovered uh that I help my clients with is actually start a on-the-job training program before while you're still alive to mentor them. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes we ask our kids to take over business that they don't want and they're not very right. good at. So many times selling the business at the height of the value and then finding a really great wealth advisor to grow that wealth and purchase, you know, wealth at a discount for future generations is a better legacy than trying to pass, you know, a, a business that may or may not fit with the gifts and talents of the next future generations.
1: Oh, I would have to agree hundred percent because you see you see some families where they do the transfer of the business. You see other families where maybe one or two people want to buy out the business from the rest of the family. And others are like, none of us want to be in that business. let's Let's just you know take the highest and best value when we can, and then we'll decide what to do with the uh, the, the assets once uh, you've, you've uh, liquidated, so to speak, and you transfer that. And there's different strategies for different for each of those. They're not all handled the same way. Right.
2: Exactly, and and then as a family member, you can create rules, which is what I do. The legacy planning, a set of governance of how to make decisions on how to use that money in future generations.
1: So, how do you start this process? Right. So now, if we recognize, hey, I mean, some parents don't want to talk to the kids about money. Some people don't want to have these conversations. Uh, I know. I'll I'll speak to myself because I'm a little older generation. I mean. We didn't really discuss money in the family as far as what our family was doing with their money, so to speak, until much, 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 much later. I have these conversations that just wasn't really done. So it wasn't an integral part of our conversations as a family. So how do you kind of start that process to get it? So, hey, have some communication about what's actually happening here. I guess it's very, very important. That's the part we don't we kind of miss. It's extremely important for everybody.
2: Well, it is. And that's why my goal is to see this legacy planning be seen as its own industry, mm-hmm. because you hire experts to write a will, you hire an expert to manage your wealth, you hire an expert to file your tax returns. Why not file, hire an expert that can lead you through these conversations? Mm-hmm. Because it's extremely hard to do when you're trying to have these conversations with your children or grandchildren, because they're looking at you like you have an agenda. And the last person that your kids want to listen to is yourself.
1: <laughs> that's very true. Um, I mean, you're almost, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, well, that's that's why, I mean, I'll, I'll transfer it to a little bit, but it's almost like having a family therapist, so to speak. Because I know that a lot of us go to therapy, right, for one reason or another, because you have that third party having a conversation. Why do we use realtors when we sell real estate? Because there's a lot of money at stake. And when you have the buyer and the seller talk to each other, things can go wrong and they find historically you get more money out of your property when you're using an intermediary, right? So all this is, all this is documented that actually helps, right? So is that kind of what we're doing? You're getting that person in there to say, Hey, I hear your side. I hear your side. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm seeing, so to speak. (laughs) Well,
2: and I tell people I am not a therapist because I don't have to deal with the past because the past keeps showing up in the present. And right. and so it's very narrow focus of what I do. I, I actually think about it as like a human capital development program at the family level, because at the business level, we're investing in our employees to grow their human capital. And when we do that, we know that our businesses are worth more. Well, it's the same, excuse me, the same is true at the family level. I'm a human capital development specialist, Giving those families a structure that is repeatable, because that's the key in these families that are retaining wealth to the third generation and on. They have a system that's repeatable, sustainable, and in that way, if there's decisions made about the money, it's not personal.
1: That is awesome. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We're going to get into just how you set up that structure. You're listening to Master Your Finance. We'll be right back.
0: yeah, you've got loads of money, but it's all about how you manage it. Let's get back to learning how to grow yeah. your green with Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment. Only on Master Your Finances.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm here with Cindy Arledge, and we're talking about really helping the family do a better job of transferring wealth. Because as you pointed out in the first segment, most families lose their wealth in the third generation right shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves right you build up the wealth the second generation kind of enjoys the wealth the third generation it just it goes away at that point because they really aren't trained in how to manage wealth and things like that but we have had people do this very successfully right some of them for hundreds of years in some cases right most do not so what is the difference between those that have been very successful I don't recall the name, but so I think it was a, a family from Japan. I believe it was right. Haven't they been around it's like forever? And uh, um, and so they've managed to continue their wealth through many, many, many generations. Again, most of us don't. So, what's the difference, and how do we address that?
2: Well, the difference is simply that they just have added an extra plan to their estate planning efforts. I mean, in its most simple terms, and the purpose of that plan is to eliminate the known risks create a culture that each generation um, has a we over me and then create these sustainable systems. So the idea that uh, instead of being accidental, like when you think about my mom and dad, they, they could be considered accidental wealth creators. I mean, they worked at it really hard, but instead of it being accidental, it's repeatable, like teaching the next generation how to use their gifts and talents to create their own wealth. And become stewards and managers and creators of the wealth. So the, the structure piece of it is is a big piece of it. And my heart was helping entrepreneurs use this system and high net worth families use this system to create wealth forever.
1: No, that's ideal. That's ideal. So what are some of the steps you initially take to start this process, right? Because it, it sounds like an awful lot to do. I mean, I know... Some families, well, I haven't talked to my sister in 20 years. How do you expect us to get together and train each other on how to manage wealth uh, three generations from now?
2: Right. Well, and that's where bringing in <laughs> the expert helps. But one of the, the easiest ways that I've helped uh, people understand if this is right for them is just a checklist or these are the situations that will cause issues with your family in the future. It's Just a simple checklist. And if you have these situations in your life, then you can pretty much know that your family may have problems in the future, and that's eliminating those known risks. So I did a presentation recently, and there's a family that had 18 check marks. They were a blended family. Um, they own their own business. and They had some family members working in the business. Some family members weren't working in the business. They didn't have a will. They already knew that there was some family issues. I mean, the list goes, you know, it's a pretty substantial list, not too bad, but those unaddressed will surely show up at the transfer.
1: Oh, yeah, that's interesting, right? Because I mean people think, well, uh, if you don't manage uh, some of the I know some of the people have, have set up like getting ready for inheritance right, they're like, well, I'll worry, I'll let the kids worry about that. I hear that a lot, right? So, well, the simple things like who gets the China, as an example, right? Well, I, I'll let the kids figure that out. Well, guess what? Probably not going to happen in a clean, concise way that you're thinking it's going to happen. They're not going to say, "Oh, let's get together. Oh, that's okay. You can have that. Oh, you can have that." No, not usually, right? It's like that's that's the list what history shows us. <laughs> so,
2: well, and here's here's a horror story for you, Kurt. Oh, you can actually live through a bad estate plan. Uh, we had a really close family friend whose wife of sixty five years passed away. And their only daughter had passed away and they were really tight knit family and their granddaughter was an attorney. Mm -hmm. And when grandpa almost died, they made the granddaughter the executor of their estate. Well, when grandma, when grandma passed away, um, he was picked up by the California hospital system and told that he was unable to care for himself. And in the week that it took him to convince the hospital that he was fine the granddaughters had cleaned out the house, oh. taken all of grandma's jewelry, and he had to fight to get his own money back. And he lived another eight years. He was almost 101 when he passed away Oh my word. and outlived a second wife. So you can actually live through a bad estate plan.
1: Okay. I, I don't think I recommend that though.
2: No. <laughs> so well, well, here's the thing.
1: Let's, let's try not to have get that a happen. a good
2: estate plan right. so that when, you're fa- when you do need help, your family's all on the same page.
1: Right. Right.
2: Right. I mean, it was so shocking when that happened. So, so the idea of this we over me culture, right. Um, that's a real critical piece of that.
1: So how do you train that? Because I mean, we, that, that's a hard one, right? So everybody, I mean, unfortunately that seems to be what happens, right? People to default to, you know, with them, right. What's in it for me, what am I getting out of this? Right. And a lot of times like other generations say, well, that's, I'm entitled to this money. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. I go, well, uh, your parents or your grandparents, they're the ones that created this. The fact you happen to be there, it does, it's not really an entitlement, right? Uh, at least that's my personal view, right? I mean, it's like, okay, it's great, but I didn't get entitled to anything. I didn't earn it, right? They did. They can do what they want to with it. So how do you kind of get over that kind of mentality about how different people view that, that wealth that may be coming down the pike?
2: We've got three different plans that we work with families. We have a family conflict resolution plan because um, oftentimes conflict can either destroy your family or it can actually make it better. So when a family defines how they're going to um, resolve their conflict within their family, and I'm talking about a formal resolution plan, right? Everybody agrees to it. And that's the big the big piece of legacy planning that's different is that instead of planning around the family, you're actually planning with the family. Mm-hmm. And so that happens in regular meetings, right? So our my family, we've been doing legacy planning for 10 years now. Um, I have two daughters and a stepdaughter. We're up to five grandkids. And so we meet on a regular basis and we have an agenda and we know what we're going to talk about. And the other piece of this is we have a family harmony plan. And our family harmony plan includes a week-long legacy week vacation that my husband and I take the entire family on vacation every year from the second Saturday to the third Saturday in June. And um, we pay for most of the trip, but we turn the budget over to the three girls and they're learning how to make decisions about money in a fun way and learn how to get along in a fun way. Now, while we're alive. Right. And so that legacy week, the magic really happens at the cousin level. So by taking these, you know, these they're now 12 to four. Every year they spend this week together. They're creating a, a shared memories of time spent. And then the other piece of this is a family development plan that my husband and I made a list of things that we feel like the girls need to have mastered. And one girl may need to learn communication skills. Another one may need to learn money management skills. We actually invest in their development with other outside specialists to teach them that information. And then they have, they have things that they want to learn and they want to know. So the big piece of it is investing in your family while you're alive.
1: Yeah. You're kind of getting down to something. I think we, we criticize our, our educational system sometimes way, not right? we, we don't really teach money management through school. I know when I was in elementary, middle, high school, none of that was taught any of my education. Right. And the other, which is that you just point out was communication, right? I mean, one of the leading indicators of somebody that's successful is having good communication skills, right? Whether it's verbal, written. Families should have good communication skills, but many, many times, I mean, we've had wars start over miscommunications, right? So it's kind of like if you're not communicating properly, then that's bad too, right? So how do you start that process of getting everybody done? Because the younger you start, I assume, the better, right?
2: No, absolutely. And... Um We actually, another piece of this, I'm gonna take a left-hand turn with you here. We actually have a a team of people that we call our board of directors or virtual family office. We will host a seminar for the family and have our experts come in and train them. And so now you're building a relationship with your, your advisors, your brain trust, and they're providing that information to your family and everybody's receiving the same information at the same time. And so uh, it really is, you know, a great way to increase that human capital development at the family level. And um, the other thing about this is preparing them for their future roles. So many families have asked uh, a child to be their executor or, you know, backup executor to a spouse or a trustee. Well, where do they get the training for that? And so we provide that training for those future roles while everybody's alive. And then the third piece of this kind of participation, we over me culture is to create a purpose for your wealth. That's bigger than the family, because then you're not so entitled. The family has, um, I, I used to do values based, but I've actually changed that to working with convictions with the family. What is the family convicted about making the world a better place? And then everybody's can use all their various values to impact the world as a family. And that's, really one of the key pieces of doing away with that entitlement piece.
1: Well, that sounds really awesome. So um, how how do you start that process? Because families can be very large, right? And it's if you get more than a couple people in a room, it's hard to get everybody to come with to the same decision, right? We're all going to disagree at some level. So I'm just seeing a couple of things. How do we get them together? And how do we start that process?
2: Well, and let's even talk about, you know, June 2020, families couldn't even get together at all, right? Right,
1: right.
2: So um, we just, we chunk it down into tiny little bits that we just make baby steps forward. You, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and we try to make it as fun as possible. And so we can do by Zoom meetings, um, we, can, we can do it uh, monthly meetings, we can do it annual meetings. It's just whatever the, works for the family is what we work with.
1: Well, that's awesome. Uh, We're going to take another quick break now. You're listening to Master Your Finances.
2: We're not just doing this for money.
0: We're doing it for a shitload of money.
1: If you want to learn how to make and manage that kind
0: of money, turn the volume up as we get back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm here with Cindy Arledge, and we're talking about uh, really – getting families to have a long-term success with their wealth, right? Not just the, the family, that the, the first generation that earns that wealth, right? We hear all these stories. Most of the people that are very wealthy now earned it themselves in this particular generation, right? Elon Musk did it. I mean, you know, Bill Gates did it. All these people you hear about, Steve Jobs. I mean, many of them made a lot. But now the question is, what happens next? And one of the things that comes to my mind is that families are extremely diverse, right? You may have a small family, but you may, you could have 10, 20, 30, 50, even more people involved sometimes when you're talking about some of these larger families. How do we get them all together to kind of, kind of buy into this plan and participate the way we hope they will for the benefit of everyone, right? We know it benefits everyone, but some maybe say like, I'm not interested, I'm too busy, whatever the case may, there's going to be excuses, right? So how do you work, through those objections and then get people to kind of come together for a common goal? Well,
2: that's a great question. Um, And it's got various um, answers to different pieces of what you just asked me. So when I um, am engaged by a family, the first thing that I do is lay that foundation with the founders because um, they need to know where they want their wealth and how they want it to affect the family. So I work with them first and we have an initial family meeting and that's where the process starts where we invite the rest of the family in to participate. And some families, you know, not everybody's going to get invited. I mean, there are some families that have some, some issues. And so you start with the ones that will show up. Okay. And then for us on our harmony plan, which is the fun plan, um, they know that every year we're going to go on this vacation. And if something is in their lives and they can't come that year, they know that they're going to be invited the next year. But we try to make it so much fun that they don't want to miss it. Uh, Like this year we took 13 people zip lining horseback riding and just doing really fun stuff. So it's like their week to come together. We rent this huge house. We have fun. And they're really different. Our girls are very different. Right. mm -hmm. So it's show, you know, first of all on the harmony side of it, Who's going to show up and and don't force it, but make it so irresistible that they want to. Mm-hmm. Later on, when you get your structure set up, that's where this governance planning really comes in because it doesn't require the entire family. Um, once you get your, you know, your that board of directors or that brain trust together, and you 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 create a, we help families create a family constitution. Well, then they can start setting up councils and they can send representatives from their family branch to come to the meetings and then a big piece of this is communication so for my husband and i um i write my daughters a monthly letter every month and it's just a little bit of wisdom that i want them to know and then i keep it together in a big book and this year twice this year what i was going to write was changed by current events and I pictured myself or I pictured my family 100 years from now finding this legacy book of these monthly letters and thinking, I didn't even know our family lived through that. And, and I will tell you, one of the events that happened to us is that Uvalde shooting uh, of the children in the school. And so what I was going to write that month ended up changing because I wanted to share what I was thinking about that with my daughters and again, thinking of future generations, I hope someday that there's people that aren't even aware that people used to go in and shoot at schools. Like, oh my God, that really happened? You know what I'm saying? Like that would never happen in a hundred years. And so to, to have that firsthand experience of what we lived through in that experience is, is pretty, um, it it gives you the why behind taking the actions.
1: So it's like a family historian type thing. You're really kind of Tracking things as they're happening, right? Based on what's going on at the time, and how that's exactly. important, right? That that way, a hundred years from now, the family can look back and see, well, why do we do the things the way we're doing them now? You can go back to like the really you're, you're delving into the the wealth of knowledge that you have, multi generational knowledge now, right? So you're adding this all together, and then the following generations will hopefully benefit from it because sometimes knowledge is lost, right? Uh, because it isn't transferred along, right? We don't sit around the campfires like maybe, uh, you know, some of the, you know, some of the cultures used to do and the the elders talk to the younger ones. They talk. I mean, there was this conversation that went on all the time between multiple generations to pass it because they didn't have writing. They didn't have a lot of other ways to do it. So they had to do it that way. We're getting back to a little bit of that now because people just assume you can just learn all this, right? You've got Google. You can learn anything you want to learn, but not about the family, right? Not how it actually fits,
2: well, and every family has their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one family—I don't know if you've ever heard of Mitzi Purdue—but she's has um, been 14 generations on the Sheridan side and married to the Purdue side. They've got you know multiple generations of having this wealth, and in their family, everyone's uh, expected to write their own biography when they're 60. Oh wow! And so now they've got this whole bookshelf of previous family members that have written their own biography. Uh, another family takes a family photo at Thanksgiving and puts it up in the hallway. And when the youngest son's wife got to come to Thanksgiving for the first time, she went down the hallway looking at the pictures and she said, well, how come you never had a date for Thanksgiving? And he said, because I watched my brothers bring dates and then get married. And then their wives asked, well, who was that? Who was that? Who was that? <laughs> and so even having a, a simple tradition of having family photos can alter behavior. So every family is different. I help them find out how to pass that character and values and convictions from one generation to the next in the most meaningful way.
1: You just mentioned getting married. So that brings on another aspect, right? So you can have the family involved, but now that somebody gets married and you bring in a, a new spouse who has not been necessarily trained in what's going on. So you've got to bring him or her in at that point, right? At some point. It kind of and that's what i think that's right. where tradition might help right this is just the way we do things i mean is that kind of help well, it does you know, help yeah
2: and it, it strengthens that family value where they don't bring the wrong person home that's <laughs> like true too one one family kind of has like this test that they take people that they're dating they have to go to the remote ranch and live camping for a week. And if they can't handle that, then they probably don't make the cut. You know what I mean? They just, it, it's amazing the different ways that families can vet future spouses.
1: Oh, so we're actually getting a selection. Here. <laughs> but that's very interesting because you're teaching, you know, you're teaching your communication. You're, now you're teaching how to pick a spouse as part of this, because that's part of the success, right? More than half of the marriages end up in divorce, correct? So if you're a little bit better at picking somebody, that fits into yourself and your family atmosphere, then you're probably gonna be happier. They're gonna be happier too, for frankly, right? Everybody's gonna be a little bit happier if it all matches.
2: and to your point, it's because we do the groundwork and the legacy planning that people know what they know. And it's okay to be who you are. Right. In you know, inside the family when you build the structure right, that there's room for everybody. But you're still going towards that common goal. Okay. Of making the world a better place.
1: That's that, that's awesome. So we we get everybody participating, right? You set up kind of that structure. So how do you decide, like, what the? It sounds like almost like a family mission, multi-generational family mission. Like why why does our family exist? How do we want to impact the world a hundred years from now? What do we what do we want our footprint to be out here?
2: Yeah, I actually I have a giving exercise that I work through with the family. And uh, so that everybody has a voice, we use a nominal group technique. Uh, and so the family actually votes on it and everybody has input. I think that's what really makes the difference. When you add a legacy plan to what you're doing, the entire families are participating, because without it, we're relying on paperwork to do the talking for us after we're dead. Right. And the, the, the next generation may or may not wanna take that baton. But when they're a part of creating it, then they're much more likely to want to steward it and not become entitled and make sure that it it continues
1: right right so you want to go through some of the tools that we teach the family and like how to implement this and how to make sure it carries out the way we're hoping it carries out
2: well one of the tools is that they create a family constitution almost okay. like a governance document right um, that's a great one of course we have the the conflict resolution plan um, we talk with families about how much do they want to invest in their family. And some families actually set up permanent funding so that the the, the wealth just creates itself to pay for their legacy planning. So it, it's ongoing. And then, um, you know, they have the epic family mission. Uh, lots of families will just like create a placemat at the dinner table so that it's right there in their face. And they it's about. And I will tell you, for our family, we have all our family pictures from our trips. So when the grandkids come spend the night with me, they see the progression of the family. They're really there's unlimited tools uh, that we can use to meet the family's needs. We know where we're going, and we can create unique tools to get there.
1: well that that is really awesome. So one of the things that I know, and we've got to take a break here in a minute, but one of the things that we we address after the break is, The thing that I'm concerned about is when you have a wealthy family, how do you bring up children with like family values that they want to work, right? Because if you have all this wealth and literally you don't want for anything, you can survive. You don't need to necessarily work, but it's good for our souls. It's good for our personal development to do something. You can't just sit home and watch Netflix all day, right? So when we come back, you want to help us out with how we set up those family values and make sure everybody is productive and not just well off when we come back you're listening to master your finances
0: do you want to prevent this from happening to you and it's gone it's all gone listen closely as we now return to master your finances with kurt baker of certified wealth management and investment
1: welcome back you're listening to master your finance i'm here with cindy arledge and uh we're talking about really kind of sustaining the family uh wealth over multiple generations but not just the wealth as far as the monetary end of it goes, but also as far as core values, because really wealth comes from core values. It comes from how productive you are. That's the result of being productive. Sometimes people mix it up, right? You need money to make money. Well, you really need to be productive. If you're productive and you add value, you are gonna. The money will come. It's just that's just what happens, right? So you have to focus more on that. Um, but one of the concerns I have is that I know many many wealthy families do is you create this wealth. I wanna make sure my children and my grandchildren also know what it's like to work because it feels good to produce, it feels good to create, it feels good to add value. So how do we make sure that value continues? Because over many, many generations, having money and just sitting around doing nothing and just sitting on the beach all day, that's not a thats not a, a life where you're gonna actually enjoy it long-term, you're gonna get tired of that. I mean, you need to produce, in my view, at least. What do you think?
2: No, absolutely. And so what you're talking about is actually the foundational piece of what I do. Okay. And um, this legacy planning came about from reading partly a poem when I was in that waiting zone. And it came from the crypt in the Abbey, uh, you know, a, a crypt on a tombstone. Mm-hmm. And it basically said, you know, I wanted to change the world, but now here I am laying on my deathbed And I realized that if I had just changed myself first and then I had changed my family, then together we might've changed the world. So everything that I do is an inside out approach. And so we have a a portion of this in this preparation piece, this participation piece of helping every generation become their own wealth builder. And so in the foundation piece of change yourself first, um, we actually have an emergency preparation plan for the family. It, it's almost like a first responders plan. If something happens, um, the family has the resources to take care of the medical emergency. It's about, um, you know, making advanced decisions and everybody knows what their role is. So that's a piece of it. The next piece of it is remember you must die. Memento Mori.
1: <laughs> that is true. It's
2: about, it, it's about living with no regrets. And I, have a series of exercises that I've created to help families go through these really hard discussions. Nobody wants to talk about death, especially with COVID and all that. But when we live with the end in mind, it actually leads to our best life. And so uh, in this foundation piece, we talk about personal legacy and we talk about being authentic. And then we talk about leaving, living with no regrets. Well, when the, family members are old enough, I take every family member through this foundation piece to help every single adult discover what is their zone of genius? What is their authenticity? And then um, the the last piece of this is living by design. And this came from just the pain that I went through after my mom and dad passed away and the loss of relationships is really understanding what does it mean to be human? Like we truly are spiritual beings living in a physical world as feeling creatures who think. if you want me to, I'm going to repeat that, because this is like, this is like the heart of what we do. We are spiritual beings who are living in a physical world as feeling creatures who think. So, so much of the plans that are based around this, this planning that we do is on the thinking level, the physical level, but this legacy planning is really a heart centered spirit lived you know, plan that we put together. And so when we take the family members through this, we talk about just universal laws. And this is where this idea of, I don't have to be a therapist, but I can help the family develop what I call a formula for living. Like what does this family believe is to be true? And um, one of the, and I, I read constantly, and I'm always bringing in ideas that I learned. And one of the, the, the things that gets us in trouble is that when we lose a loved one, we're in loss and grief. So there was an author, a Jill Bolt Taylor, that actually had a stroke that shut down half her brain. And in doing so, she in, she experienced nirvana. She couldn't even separate herself from the shower water. And then she recovered from that. And it just so happens that she's a brain scientist. And when she gave her speech, My Stroke of Insight, people wanted to know, how do I experience that nirvana that you experience without having a stroke and shut down half my brain? And so she's like, well, I don't know. So she spent the next five years figuring out how the brain works and how to experience that nirvana. And so one of the things that she uh, was able to identify is that we have four characters in our brain. And one of those characters is the five-year-old child that's afraid of everything. Well, what happens is that when we have a loss in the family, the people that are showing up to settle that estate are in the right side of their brain in that five-year-old, this is mine, I'm not safe. So by, you know, helping families understand in advance, this is the way your brain works and how to access that side and recognize what character of your brain you're using, then they can identify and not stay in that character too when they're settling and they're in stress. So that's just, you know, a piece of what I do. And then helping every generation decide how they're going to become a wealth builder and then using the constitution and then a governance plan that the family agrees how they're going to use their wealth. Um, One of the families that um, I'm familiar with here in the Dallas area, they, they said, we don't want to create this wealth and not let people use it, but we don't want them to become entitled. So they've created rules around their their wealth that we're not going to ever use any of the principal. We're going to give this much, but everybody's expected to create their own. And so y- you work together to create those rules in advance.
1: So how does how does that part work? Because I mean, if if I have this wealth that's created and we're living off you know the, the returns, so to speak, on the on the corpus of the wealth, um, what's my incentive to go out and create my own if I'm if I'm getting these checks like from the family? Uh, coffer, so to speak, uh, because I need to, I should be producing. Right. So how does that dynamic work?
2: Yeah. And, and so every family does it different, right? Okay. And so there's some measurement tools that they have. And I, I, you can't plan for the 1% that doesn't work. You have right. to plan for the 99% that does. And some families have an exit plan. That if you don't want to participate in the councils and you don't want to participate, there's an exit plan for them, right? And so it, there you may always have that 1% that's going to lower their lifestyle where they don't have to work. But at the end of the day, we have to give people free will, right?
1: Oh, no, I agree. That's what, kind of what I'm getting to because, I mean, well, some people, you've got everything, right? People who don't want to work you people who can't. Right. They may be physically or mentally disabled and they literally have to be cared for by the family. So I'm sure that's addressed. Right. right. I mean, most plans address. Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but if, but absolutely. if somebody says, I don't like the way this works. So they it almost like sounds like you buy them out or they get a they go, OK, well, here you go on your own, go on your merry way. And that's it. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. No, every family is different. But we we try to account for as much of those in advance as we can. And then when it's in writing and everybody knows what it is, um, then they can either agree to it or not. I mean, what we're talking about here is shared assets, that you have the economy of scale, and some families decide that it's not worth it, and they they just separate the the assets and go their own way. I mean, um, and to your point, um, there's changes in people. You may have somebody that becomes addicted to drugs. You may have somebody who is in a domestic violence um, situation. So you just try to account for those situations and know what the plan is going to be in advance so that it's, not again, not personal. It's like, okay, if you want to live off the checks, then this is your choices, but it's known in advance. It's not like, well, Jimmy... Right. Jimmy just bought, you know, it's not about Jimmy. It's about here's our constitution, here's what we've agreed to. And these are the consequences of the actions.
1: Yeah, that that is pretty amazing because most of that is one, is not addressed. And two, if it is addressed, it's kind of a verbal understanding and like, hey, I'll do this if you do that, kind of thing, right? You're gonna take care of mom when she gets older, or you're gonna do this. But nothing is actually kind of documented. And I'm assuming this can be updated over time because if you're talking multiple generations then what they get the this almost sounds like you're setting up a government for the family right you're saying exactly right basically and they have to be flexible right
2: yeah yeah you're exactly right you're getting y'all excited and it has to be flexible and adaptable because who could have ever you know we could have never predicted 2020
1: That is very true. Right. So it has to account for the unknown, so to speak. Right. But I think that gets back to the core value end of it. Right. So if you handle the core values and you know where you're coming from, handling the different events that are going to happen, it all emanates from that core value strategy. Right. That you want to you want to sustain this long term. Right.
2: And I can even give you an example of our family. And, you know, before we have to leave, Mm -hmm. um, we are a member of the conscious capitalism movement of that. It's good to make wealth and that it should serve a higher purpose. And I also run commercial real estate and investments in commercial real estate. And the first people knocking on my door for a discount were my big corporations when COVID hit. And so (laughs) we, because we serve a higher purpose, we knew that we wanted to help all of our tenants stay in business. And so we um, set up a plan and every single one of our tenants made it through COVID because we made concessions on rent and helped them stay in business.
1: Well, that is awesome, Cindy. Thank you so much for so much information here. But I mean, that communication is, is key. Um, getting the family all on the right page, all the same page as far as how you're going to handle things and being flexible about it and really building the family core values that can be multiple multiple generational wealth and just continue on and on and on is fantastic. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it very much. You're listening to Master Your Finances.
0: Thank you for listening to Weekend Rewind's
1: Master Your Finances.
0: Catch all of your favorite Weekend Rewind talk shows starting at 9 a.m. every Monday through Thursday. Now let's go back to the present day with the biggest hits and best variety on 1077 The Bronx.